Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko on the Orange and Brown Talk feed. We bring you the numbers and the film twice a week. Browns Chiefs on Sunday, just like we all knew was going to happen. On a collision course with Patrick Mahomes from the moment they hired Kevin Stefanski. Remember in Kevin Stefanski's initial news conference when he was hired a year ago and he stepped to the mic and he said, we're coming for you, Patrick. Remember when he said that and he got everybody in Cleveland fired up? I think I stepped out of the room at that point. Yeah. I missed that. That's Stefanski's <laughs> style. Yeah, it feels it feels like just yesterday to me. Exactly. Stefanski's <laughs> style. Say a lot. Give him bulletin board material on brand. You want some of this, Andy Reid? Is that what you want? So we're going to break into that. It's it's Kansas City. It's Kansas City Wednesday, and it'll be Browns game plan Friday. So this is a heavy dose of, if you don't know that much about the Chiefs, Scott is going to tell you about the defense to start it off, and in the second half, Ellis is going to break down the Chiefs' offense for you. So we're going to start with, uh, let's see, let's see how many defenders I can name for the Chiefs. Chris Jones, right? Famous. He's good. Is he still there? That was, he's a, that's a Dorsey draft pick, right? Everybody liked that pick. Frank Clark, Glenville High School, University of Michigan. I still have in one of my audio recorders the hour-long preseason Big Ten media session when Frank Clark held court. And every Frank Clark was unbelievable. He's this Cleveland guy. He's this great player at Michigan. I thought, man, this guy is great. I cannot wait to write a story about that guy. Still haven't written it, but I have the audio. I mean, he's been in the league for like six years, like from 10 years ago. Wait till I drop that Frank. Maybe I'll drop it this week. What Frank Clark said about Michigan's defense in 2009. I think that's a good story this week. That's how I do my job, by the way. Real timely. Yeah. And and, uh, the Honey Badger. He's on that team now, right? Honey Badger. So that's so if, if that maybe I just ruined Scott's whole breakdown because I could name three. That's really all I had. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's this. This podcast is I know names and that's all. And then Scott Nellis, they know football. So that's what we'll do. Let's start with the Chiefs defense next. Scott Pesco, dive in. I got to watch the tape. All right. So before we get into uh, specific players and, uh, and just specifics in general about each side, let's talk about where this Chiefs defense ranks compared to the rest of the NFL. Kind of an overview uh, of where things are at. <clears throat> and I like DVOA better than the PFF grading when you're talking about a team because it's a better indicator of where an offense and a defense are at as a whole because it kind of measures, you know, where 
a team's efficiency against the league average. So the Chiefs are 22nd in defensive DVOA, which uh, puts them eight spots below the league average. For comparison, the Browns are 25th or 11 spots below the league average. So not too far, not too far off from where the from where the Chiefs are. The Chiefs defensive DVOA breaks down to 16th against the pass and 31st against the rush. And if you're just looking at rushing yards uh, per game allowed, the Chiefs are kind of right in the middle of the pack. They're 16th at 112.4 per game. Overall yards per game, they're right with the Browns in the middle of the pack at 16th and the Browns are 17th. So they're somewhat comparable in that respect. PFF ranks the Chiefs 20th in overall defense, two spots below the Browns. And that breaks down to 21st against the run, 15th in coverage. They're 22nd in pass rush and 19th in tackling. So again, they're, you know, if you want to call them middle of the pack, that's probably a good way to describe them if you're just looking at overall. But there are some differences between the uh, <clears throat> between pass and the run. Third down conversions, 41%, 17th. Again, kind of middle of the pack. An area where the Chiefs defense is above average is takeaways. They have 22 takeaways, which is tied for 10th. They have 16 interceptions this season, which is tied for second. There are four teams that have 18. They've had at least one takeaway in all but two games this season. Although six of their takeaways came against the Broncos, who lead the league in giving the other team the ball. Uh, an area where the Chiefs defense is below average outside of rush defense, as we mentioned, is in the red zone. The Chiefs are allowing a league-high 76.6% conversion rate in the red zone. That's touchdowns only. That's 36 to 47. Uh, and remember, uh, this is an area the Browns offense has excelled in, as uh, we've talked about a lot on this podcast. They're converting 72% of the time, which is fourth best. Uh, so when the Browns get in the red zone, good things could happen on Sunday. Uh, the Chiefs are ranked 30th in goal-to-go conversions, allowing teams to convert 84% of the time, 27 of 32. So again, get close to the end zone, and, and, and the Browns are in, in a good spot. They that's, also that's weakness on weakness, right? That's like well, the in Chiefs, short yardage, yeah, yeah. That's weakness. The Browns are terrible right. at this, well, but the Chiefs are also terrible at defending. Well, that maybe if not. it's first and goal at the ten, different situation. If it's if it's first and goal at like the two, and the Browns are trying to run it, then uh, then it'll be a, a, an odd an odd situation, which I was gonna um, which I'll get into a little more later. Um, the Chiefs also get a lot of penalties. They average six point six per game just on defense, and that's fourth most, um, almost 58 yards per game, which, again, is, is in the top five. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, overall, though, like I said, the Chiefs defense, I think, is really kind of a, a middle-of-the-pack deal, um, which I guess when you think about it that way, that's great news for the Browns, right? You know, the, yeah, the Chiefs offense is, is a super awesome thing, but the defense is not. But it's worth remembering that last year's Chiefs defense was only ranked 20th by PFF, they were 14th in DVOA, and while that is better than this year, uh, the, the Chiefs were only two spots above average performance in DVOA last year. They were also ranked 17th in yards per game allowed, which is just one spot below where they are this season. So in other words, this Chiefs defense isn't much different from the unit that the Chiefs won a Super Bowl with last year. And also, this defense held the Ravens to 20 points and 16 first downs. They got blown up by the Raiders in Week 5, but then came back the next week and shut down the Bills. And they put a ton of pressure on Josh Allen in that game. They beat the Saints, too, in Week 15. They didn't have Michael Thomas in that game. But the Saints were sixth in rushing yards this season, 141 per game. They only had 60 in that game. So this defense has done more than just ride the coattails of the offense this season. So let me get this straight. 
We're talking about a team with a great offense and a mediocre to below average defense that has a couple stars on the defense and leans on turnovers as the way to really stop people. And that is a winning formula that has gotten them a Super Bowl title. Sounds familiar. I wonder if that could. So, I mean, right, Ellis, is that not where, I mean, again, I came in with my knowledge base of the Chiefs defense being, I know three names on the team. And Scott, Scott's whole explanation, I was like, oh, all right, maybe I just need, we need to stop complaining about the Browns defense because this is a Super Bowl formula. This this defense then is average. Ellis, your head had to be there. Yeah, the, the formula is there. The, the formula makes sense. What we need to figure out with, in terms of comparing this Browns defense to what the Chiefs have done, is when it comes to the Chiefs, Scott did a great job laying out how they're essentially average or below average, but then made a lot of key points in, the, in listing the good offenses they've beat, that they've done well against. And when he told me that, this is a similar and basically the same defense that won the Super Bowl last year. It made me think of that Super Bowl run a year ago. And it seems like a unit that rises to the occasion that, okay, the stats are what they are, but when it's go time, those stars that I'm sure Scott's going to get into and Doug started the show with step their game up. You know, I remember Chris Jones last year in the playoffs, no one really had it, saw any juice from him. And then all of a sudden he, he, he kind of wrecked, the Niners in that Super Bowl game. And those are the moments where your stars arrive. So as of right now, yeah, the Browns are a defense that have risen to the occasion in their one playoff game, turning the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger over five times. Was that more the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger just being loose and first half rust with the football? I mean, we can relive that first quarter another time, but it remains to be seen if this Browns defense is going to be one of these units that, keep raising their level of play as the stakes get higher, because that to me is what the chiefs have done so well, both as Scott laid out last year in the super bowl. And then in those key offensive firepower games that they've played this season so far too. All right. So, so Ellis mentioned Chris Jones. I mean, in terms of this past defense, Scott, right. I mean, they have some pass rushers, I guess, and they have a couple dudes on the back end is, are they going to cause problems? Is this a pass defense that will, get after Baker or cause problems when he's trying to do something? Well, yes and no. The Chiefs play a base 4-3, but it's really like a 4-2 because they have five defensive backs on the field most of the time. And it's really – it doesn't really matter what the other team's doing. They're going to have a lot of DBs out there. The Chiefs' top four players on snap counts are defensive backs, and, and three are safeties. Therese Matthew, Matthew Daniel Sorensen, Juan Thornhill are all safeties. Uh, Traverius Ward, cornerback, is wedged in there at third overall. But you have to go down to ninth and tenth and snaps past the defensive lineman we found a linebacker which is kind of odd uh, so Baker Mayfield will be looking at a lot of defensive backs on Sunday three of those Chiefs cornerbacks are in the top 25 in PFF coverage grade although they're all kind of wedged between 19th and 24th uh, but still it's a group you got your starting quarterback uh, uh, Bashad Breland and the two guys who have seen probably the most snaps in the slot and Rashad Fenton and Legarius Sneed Fenton has really bounced back and forth between slot and wide and he hurt both his ankles in week 17. So I'm not sure of his status yet. Um, but he's played, he's only had three starts, but he's played about 50% of the snaps, but he's their top graded coverage corner this season. 
Snead has been in the slot down the stretch. He has three picks. Um, Traverius Ward is ranked 46th in coverage grade, and he plays opposite Breland on the corner. And they've both kind of been targeted the same amount of time. But Ward really gives quarterbacks more bang for the buck because even though he's only given up three touchdowns, he has 10 penalties this season, which is second most among cornerbacks. And seven of those have either been defensive holding or DPI. Breland has eight penalties by himself, which is also obviously among the, the league leaders. So um, that kind of goes back to the penalties thing I mentioned earlier. They, they do get quite a few. Overall, though, the Chiefs um, have the third most defensive pass interference penalties, just, just DPI by, by itself, 14. Browns, by the way, have four. That's the fewest in the league, and that includes the wild card weekend, which is amazing when you think about the number of bodies that have gone in and out of that secondary and uh, the disparity in experience and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm only going to think it, I'm not going to say when you blow a coverage, you're also often not close enough to the guy to commit <laughs> pass interference. You just, you just let him catch the touchdown. I'm not going to say that because I wouldn't throw in a negative comment like that in a playoff week. That is true. That is true. Uh, but the chief safeties are not uh, great in coverage. Matthew is the only cover corner or is the only uh, secondary player over 60 in coverage grade. And that's at 60.4. He starts at strong safety. Sorensen is at free safety, but they like to move Matthew all over the place. He's so versatile. He's going to be in the slot a ton. I mean, they really, they have a lot of options on how they want to cover Jarvis Landry. Um, you got multiple cornerbacks and you got Matthew in there that can, that can get the job done. Uh, they also avoid putting their linebackers in coverage situations. Anthony Hitchens leads the team in 268 coverage snaps. Uh, by comparison, BJ Goodson's got 526. Malcolm oh my Smith, God. Yeah. Even Taki Taki's got 220 for the Browns. Wow. So wow, that, that is, is that just, is that philosophical? Is that just the way teams have chosen to attack? Or is that just a reflection of the fact that they play a four, two, five, and they just don't ask their, that's the fact that they do. don't have a lot of linebackers on the field at the same time together. That's, that's, that's having three safeties out there and, you know, three cornerbacks and just keeping those guys off the field. Cause we've talked like six times this year about how the Browns ask BJ Goodson to be in coverage a lot. And it's not something he does very well, but he constantly is asked to do it. And the chiefs just don't ask their linebackers to do it. No, no, they, they got yeah two other guys above 200 and then that's it for guys who are even over a hundred cover snaps among the linebackers, which is good because uh, uh, Hitchens, Ben Neiman, and Damian Wilson, who are the top three in cover snaps, quarterbacks have a passer rating above 100 against all three of those guys. So uh, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Harrison Bryant should also take note that the Chiefs have given up the eighth most receptions and the fifth most yards to posing tight ends this season. Uh, the nine TDs by tight ends against the Chiefs are also in the top 10. So that's an area that the Browns might uh, – might want to exploit Browns have had more explosive rushing plays this season than passing plays. We all know that, but the chiefs can be had with explosive passing plays or 24th in, in pass rate against, and they gave up seven explosive pass plays to the Raiders in the week five loss. And you know, the Browns are breaking down that tape, trying to figure out what, what really worked for the Raiders in that game. And that was one of the chiefs only two losses as for pass rush. The chiefs are middle of the pack. Surprise. They're 12th in total pressures and they have 32 sacks, which are 19th most. They basically have six fewer sacks in the Browns, 16 more pressures. So they're right around the same area. The Chiefs will blitz. They blitz 36% of the time, which is ninth most in the league. And it probably helps the Mayfield seen the Steelers three times and the Ravens twice this season, two of the leaders in, in blitzes, uh, blitz percentage. 
this season. We'll get into more on how the Browns might want to handle that Friday, but uh, Baker has been really good against the blitz this season. So that might not be the best strategy. They really pulled back on blitzing against the saints and that worked out for them uh, in week 15 or whenever that was, it might be a similar strategy for the chiefs this week. Chris Jones, as Doug mentioned, is the big pass threat, big pass rush threat. He leads the team with 60 pressures, eight sacks, a 93.1 pass rush grade, which is second only to Aaron Donald among interior linemen. Uh, and that's 11th overall among all defenders. But the Chiefs don't get a ton of production off the edge. Frank Clark has 44 pressures and six sacks coming from one side. Tano Passenjo, a name I had to practice. Is it Pas- Passenjo? Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. I had to practice that. I-, I looked that up on the internet to figure out. There were like five guys I had to look up, figure out how to pronounce their names on this team because I don't pay attention to the Chiefs enough. Uh, but he has just 26 pressures coming off the other edge. And both their grades are in the 50s. Clark probably matched up against Jedrick Wills, kind of rushes from the right side the most. So to recap, the Browns or the the Browns interior offensive linemen will have the biggest chore this week with Chris Jones, uh, more so than the tackles. And the Mayfield's going to see a crowded secondary. And even though, like I said, the, the Chiefs blitz a lot, that might not be something that they want to do in this game because Baker Mayfield has, has performed so well with that throughout this season. But that's a, that's a look at the past defense for the Chiefs. Does it sound like, with, with Scott, what you're talking about, the explosive plays they've given up in the past game and the pass interference stuff, does that mean, Ellis, does that mean they've got to take shots? Do the Browns have to take shots? Because maybe you don't even have to necessarily complete them. you got to give them a chance to get some penalties, right? Yeah, this is – Scott, I'm so glad you brought this up. And while you were talking, I pulled up the the Raiders Chiefs box score of the game the Chiefs lost. Long receptions for the Raiders receivers. Henry Ruggs, 72-yard reception. Nelson Aguilar, a 59-yard reception. Hunter Renfro, a slot receiver, 42-yard grab. And then they're all pro tight end with a 23-yard reception. A guy named Ingle even had a 23-yard catch. I'm going to have to go back and watch this game. I'm, I'm fascinated now that Scott's piqued my interest here on what that looks like. Of course, the Browns don't have a receiver on this roster right now with the speed of Henry Ruggs. We know that the, the idea of throwing deep shots just to throw them. I'm four when Odell Beckham jr. Was on this team. I feel a little differently about it now. Cause we have to remember who's on the other side. You throw one or two incompletions. All of a sudden you're facing third and long and you're going three and out against Patrick Mahomes that's a recipe for disaster. So as this week unfolds and we get into Friday, we'll start talking more game plan theory, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point Scott brings up and it has to, it it probably needs to be a focal point of how, or at least a a, a area that the Browns try to exploit this week. I'm just not exactly sure how they do it yet. You know, I'm not going to say it because I've been accused at times of being this way, but it sounds like to me like Ellis doesn't believe in Donovan people's Jones. That's just me. I'm just saying, give the guy a chance. I'm the hater that way all year. Yep. I've been the hater this whole time. Just let the guy make a play down the field, Ellis. But if you want to neuter him before he even has a chance, then that's, that's your opinion. (laughs) I will say there have been enough times. I I, I said something the other day on our show. It's like sometimes the way you guys break stuff down and it's weird. And I guess this is supposed to how it's supposed to work, but it doesn't happen to me in my own career enough. But it's like you guys will say stuff on the show and then it happens in the game and it always blows my mind. And it's like, oh, I knew that was going to happen because I, I heard them say it during the show. So 
like this is this is opening my eyes a little bit on what the Chiefs right might be vulnerable to, but it doesn't mean. But maybe yeah, yeah. Where's the Henry Ruggs, right? I mean, maybe the Browns without OBJ don't have the personnel to attack it. You got to be you. You don't want to get out of who you are just because maybe the Chiefs are at times vulnerable to that against somebody else. But I do think people think Scott, right? Do people think the Browns have a chance to run on? this team what's the run defense like yeah this is where the browns look to have the real advantage at least according to, to the data that we have i mentioned earlier how the the chiefs are 31st in rush dvoa if you zero in on the defensive line uh you can see some of the issues Derek uh Nottie leads the team in run defense he's got an 81.7 grade he's one of three chiefs over 70 in, in run defense one, one of the guys above 70 tedrick thompson who was waived at the end of november played sparingly in the first eight games. He's currently on the Browns roster. He's been active uh, for two games, but he hasn't played yet. So that takes one of the guys out of the equation. Matthews is the other guy over 70. The rest of the defensive line and linebackers are low 60s, high 50s, and run defensive grade. Chris Jones, their best pass rusher, this is their worst tackler. He has 12 missed tackles, a tackle grade of 26.6. Uh, that's as low into the red as you're going to see. And remember, he's on the interior of the line. The Chiefs are 21st. And average yards against up the middle, 4.62 per attempt. But they're 31st in stopping runs behind right tackle. Teams are averaging 5.59 yards around right tackle. And 27th around right end, 5.15. And where do the Browns like to run the most? To the right. Uh, the Browns lead the NFL in yardage around right end. So I'm sure that's – they're going to, you know, White Teller or Jack Conklin, this is uh, – this is kind of setting up for, for a nice game for them. The Chiefs are really bad in defending short yardage runs, uh, which you kind of alluded to earlier. They're last in power success rate, meaning they don't get a lot of stops on third and fourth and short or on goal-to-go situations inside the three. They're also 30th in stuffed rate, which means which measures tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage. And this creates the potential for a situation where you have weakness versus weakness in a critical situation on Sunday because the Chiefs struggled to stop the run in short situations, short yardage, and the Browns struggled to gain yards by running in short yardage. I'm excited to see which team would win this match. I'm like, are they going to snap the ball and everybody's going to bounce off each other and fall down? What's going <laughs> to happen? <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, the big question here is how well does this Chiefs defense limit explosive running plays? Because that's really the lifeblood of this Browns run game. Chubb and Hunt are among the league leaders and explosive runs of more than 10 yards. And uh, according to Sharp Football, which I use a lot here for explosive play info, the Chiefs are ranked third in limiting explosive runs this season. That's ranked by rate. So it's the percentage of your opponent's total running plays that are explosive. Chiefs have given up just 38 explosive plays. and actually went through game by game and counted them up to make sure this was right. And I, and I got 38. Um, and that's the third fewest among all teams. The Broncos had six against the Chiefs in their first game. The Ravens had five. The Saints, that we mentioned earlier, another team with a good run game, they had just one. That's it. The Browns will be a new challenge because the Browns are actually first in explosive run rate. So, you know, they played, obviously, some good running teams, but now they're, you know, they're playing arguably the best. So, at least uh, in terms of running backs who can break off big runs. So, while short yardage might be weakness on weakness, explosive runs might be strength on strength it really might come down to how are the Browns doing in that five to 10 yard range, you know, and keeping the chains moving because at the end of the day, you want to have prolonged drives against the chiefs and keep the ball away from that offense. And 
if there's an offense that can do that, you would think it would be the Browns with their run game. Right up until the part at the end where you said that they're good at stopping explosive runs. I had the Browns for 50 <laughs> with what you were talking about. Like what well, as so, so just from the chiefs standpoint of this, Scott, that you dug in on this chiefs defense, did you come away from your analysis? And as you gather all the info thinking to yourself, the Browns can score on these guys. Yeah, I came away thinking about how it felt like I was diving into the Browns defense, like you kind of you know talked about at the beginning here, and that they there's a lot of things they don't do well, but then for whatever reason there are things they they they've limited, and the Browns have limited a lot of explosive plays on defense, and you know the Chiefs have been able to do that, and I sometimes wonder, or uh, sometimes wondered uh, over the last day or so that is it because more teams figure they can get more passing against the chiefs, you know, earlier this season, the Browns had a really good run defense uh, stat wise. And then they kind of got rocked a few times when teams really had to run and that all just kind of got flipped. And we know the Browns had issues in their past defense and teams knew they could move the ball that way. So chiefs might be a similar situation. I think getting yards through the air is definitely something the, the Browns can do. I'm curious to see how, I mean, they, they, the Chiefs have not played a, a duel like the Browns are going to take to Kansas City. So I got to believe that they're going to get some explosive runs in this game, even though the, the Chiefs have limited that. Ellis, we've talked a lot in the big games this year. It feels like it's been, like against Tennessee, not a great defense, and the Browns showed that, that they could exploit a, a defense that had issues. But with the Ravens and the Steelers, which have been the two big opponents that we talked the most about this year, a lot of it was – those teams have good defenses, have good defensive structures. Can the Browns do what they do best against teams like that, right? That's been a thing. And I even mentioned, I was on the Les Levine show the other night, and I said that Ellis always talks about how important the bootleg is, and Scott talks about how important the bootleg is, and then like the Steelers shut that down, that they take that away the last two weeks. I don't know if the Chiefs are known for taking that away or not, but that's an important part of this offense that maybe it will be back against a team like this. Do you think, as you have analyzed it yourself, Ellis, and you hear what Scott just said, does this feel like a team that the Browns should be able to move the ball on? Oh, man, it's I'm a little I'm a little stumped, and that's because of the the they're always good. Scott's dives are always thorough and well done. This has been probably my favorite one of his. It is pulling me in multiple directions when I'm playing this game out in my head. Um, when I'm looking at the the Chiefs' schedule here to Scott's point about limiting the explosive plays. I mean, he's right. They've played some explosive runners starting with the Ravens in week three um, down to the, I mean, the Raiders twice. Uh, we mentioned the Raiders explosive pass plays uh, when they, when they, when the Raiders won, they ran the ball 22 times, only gained like 77 yards or so. So, you know, no explosive runs there. Scott, Scott mentioned the saints. So then that makes me wonder, okay, are the Browns just the exception to this rule? You know, there's no offensive line or running back combination like the Browns. We've seen that hold true basically throughout the whole season. So perhaps this is just the exception and it won't matter. We're still going to see, you know, a Nick Chubb pop a 40-yarder. We're still going to see Kareem Hunt, you know, bang for 8-11 and 11 inside the run zone at times and carry guys into, into the end zone. That's what my gut tells me. But the data is really intriguing and it just excites me more for this week as we build towards the Friday pod of actually formulating ways that this Browns offense <clears throat> can get after the Chiefs defense. Because, look, the explosive plays in the air sound like they should be there, but who's going to make them? 
oh, they limit explosive runs, but can Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt just overcome that? It, it's fascinating. And I'm, I'm, all, I'm all, I know I got to dive just to do already, but I'm, I'm ready for this. <laughs> it's be a good one. Scott, yeah. I know you, oh, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, you know, you brought up bootlegs and, and I don't have the, uh, it's hard to find information just based on that without going through and tracking it. But I will say this, the Browns do a lot of that out of 12 personnel. And they are actually fourth in the NFL in designed pass plays out of 12 personnel on first and second down. This is like your detailed stat of the day here. The, the Chiefs on first, second down, when defending 12 personnel, have allowed quarterbacks to complete 74% of their passes for 584 yards. And that's 58 pass attempts. So it's, I mean, it's not huge, but it's not, it's not a nothing sample size. Um, so there is that, um, you know, teams have been able to, to get yardage when they do throw out of 12 personnel. And like I said, the Browns do tend to boot a lot out of that formation. Scott's on fire this afternoon. I'm lucky I get to talk about Pat Mahomes and some star players. Cause I'm, I'm not going to live up to what he's throwing at us right now to the point of the bootlegs. I want to make a specific point on the way the Steelers defend the Browns in that to me, that's just in division scouting, you know, your opponent, you drill it, you, you prioritize it. You don't let it happen. I was going to say that before Scott made the point about 12 personnel. And now I'm pretty confident that if the Browns want to get back to that bootleg action, they probably will be able to. It, it's tough. And especially when you don't have uh, elite guys on the edge, like Scott is detailed, it's tough to drill guys for one week saying, all right, everything I've taught you for your whole football career about chasing backside run, ignore it this week. Maybe they do it once or twice, but your instincts take over during the game and the bootleg probably is going to be there if I had to make a gut call on it right now. So Scott, I know you like the the roster building side of this too and cap management and how how you put a team together. I know we joked about it early, but does this actually feel like that whatever this formula is for the team, well, we know what the formula is. I mean, it's they're incredibly, they're as explosive as any offense in the history of the other league. And then defensively, you know, they're okay. Does this, does this actually, is this the modern way to build a roster? I mean, does this make, is this actually a thing that, can inform maybe how people view how the Browns might go about roster building in the next five years. I mean, it should make the Browns feel better and Browns fans, I guess, feel better about their chances. Uh, but I mean, you don't, they don't bring in guys thinking, all right, we just want to be mediocre. You know, they, they, they want guys to play above, you know, above what they've, what they've played to that point. But I think knowing that defense wins championships is like so outdated at this point, at this point, it's, it's, yeah. it's just totally flipped. So you know, the Browns are on the right path for having an explosive offense. And then you get the defense to a point where they can withstand whatever the other team's doing. And the Chiefs, it's working for the Chiefs, but the Chiefs are, their offense is at the top of the list. The Browns haven't gotten that high yet. Right. Yeah. It's easier to balance an average right. defense when your offense is not just good, but is record breaking and is as good as we've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. The Chiefs have more margin for error, which allows their defense to have more margin for error. So it just it works for both sides. And, you know, the Browns, I, they're not there yet, I don't think. Yeah, and really, the, the best friend for an average defense is a lead, which is then like then the, the offense, you take some things away and they start chasing and then your defense all, all of a sudden, even if the talent's not great, you can attack people. Go ahead, Ellis. Yeah, I, just to add to the point, they are on the right path, like you two are saying. Uh, this Chiefs defense uh, as guys up front that can make a play or two, you know, Miles Garrett, and then an opportunistic safety is what this team's missing. And that's where Grant Delpit. And as we get into the off season and into next training camp, we'll talk about him at length because that is 
um, something that really pops on tape when you watch this Chiefs defense. Stuff that doesn't show up in the box score. Dad is just Tyron Matthews' influence on football games, his risk-taking, his film study, his ability to take away two routes at once when he's in the middle of the field. That's the piece so far that the Browns are missing. But I'm confident they'll find in Del Pitt as he gets healthy in the next season. Are we writing that this week? Are we writing how the Chiefs' roster-building plan is one the Browns can follow for success? Do we have that signed yet? We just stumbled into it. I've got to watch the tape. You, you keep talking. you you got to talk it out. I'm a big believer in talking stuff out. And most back in the old days, before podcasts existed, you just did this in the office. And it was like, oh, well, what about that? Nah, nah, nah. And now we just, we just, we just belch it onto you people. It's like, we're, it's like, you know what? We just struck gold, baby. All right. You know what? We got to, can we get this to Andrew Barry? Do you think he's not thought of this yet? Andrew, Andrew, try to be like the Chiefs. We figured it out. Well, didn't you didn't you write a story earlier this season saying the Browns should follow the, the Titans formula? Yeah. But now they've they're past that. Now no. it's like well, the Chiefs. That's what you want to do. That's passe. That's passe. Yeah. That's old thinking. They're out of the playoffs. This is new thinking. And then we'll start uh, why the Browns should be like the mid-80s Cowboys. That's just go. what we're, we're – cow, Cowboy Ranch – just do that whole thing, get a whole scene. That's what the Browns are looking for to succeed. The, All right, the 1940s good. Browns, that's what it should be like. Yeah, why they need a dose of Otto Graham the whole offseason. Actually, that wouldn't be that would be a great – I mean, we were talking – can you imagine a series of like why the Browns should be like this team and the ways that they are like it and aren't like it? We can compare them to all the great – they won one playoff game and our offseason series <laughs> is comparing the Browns to the greatest teams in NFL history and how they're similar to them. Why, why um, the Browns' defense is not that far away from the 85 Bears. There you go. <laughs> Just a player or two. Why Vince Lombardi, if he were alive, would be jealous of the Browns. Boy, oh boy, we're excited. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know what to do. They made the playoffs, and we're off the deep end. Um, I liked it though. That's in, that's some good stuff. That's some good stuff for fans to think about heading into this game this week because the Chiefs are really good, but there are ways for the Browns to compete, and that's what this podcast is about: showing you guys the specifics of how that can work. That's the Chiefs' defense. Next up, the Chiefs' offense with Ellis Williams on. Got to watch the tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape, Doug, Scott, Ellis. Ellis, dive in on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense. Yeah, so when I was formulating how I wanted to approach this deep dive, I came to the realization, and last night I was working on a piece about the problems the Chiefs offense presents, and I found myself just drooling over their raw talent on tape. I'm going to have some numbers and some data in here, as I usually do on our deep dives, but as loaded as, as Scott's dive was with data points that just make you want to go watch the tape, my dive is much more focused on just the raw talent of this Kansas City Chiefs offense. Because, yes, the concepts are brilliant. Head coach Andy Reid and offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy deserve a ton of credit. But this team is simply filled with freakish, once-in-a-generation talents. But then I realized this. Kevin Stefanski would never tell Miles Garrett and the Browns defense that they're unbeatable. So this week, as we walk through this deep dive and into Friday, I'm not going to use that cop out either. Uh, now, listeners, it is at times going to sound like they're Goliath and they can score at will. I promise you that's not the points I'm trying to make as we go through this. I'm 
just trying to make clear how freakish and unicorn like these these talents are so let's start with an overview before we get into the key players on this team keep in mind as we build through this and into the weekend the Chiefs are not unbeatable quick stat for you Uh, they set an NFL record for their past I think six or seven wins have all been by one score there's plenty of data out there that shows that games decided within one score are really just random acts of events giving you that victory penalties turnovers things that people that live in data much more than I can't explain it's just luck so for the Chiefs to be victorious in those in that way either means they're ripe for an upset they were bored they're playing with fire or Patrick Mahomes just is raises his game so high when the stakes are on that at the all-time high that He's that type of dude, but we don't know that yet. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. I don't know if you're, I know that adjusted Pythagorean number that people use. I know Warren Sharp uses a lot. The Chiefs and the Browns are both way over their expected win total based on that kind of thing, right? That that's what you're talking about. So, I mean, it is, they're four, they're, they lost one game that mattered. They really are a 15 and one team, but I think that a lot of the numbers, right? If you just balance out, they might be more like a 12 and four team. Really, if you look at it like you're saying, Ellis. Right, no, and, and that's exactly it. And what the only way I, the only pushback I have on that with the Chiefs is we just have a larger sample size that they're able to over, overcome these deficits and win close games. I mean, they just won the Super Bowl every playoff game last year. They trailed, and the Browns are just getting started. So it, you you can make the argument, of course, that it's not sustainable. But the Chiefs are on an all time run here, and with 20 days of rest, perhaps it's they're due for an upset or they're going to keep going with this, but really this starts and ends with Patrick Mahomes. As, as you all can imagine the chiefs offense, second overall in DVOA 13th in the run second in pass. They have the second best uh, drive success rate, fourth best in points per drive at 2.85. The Browns are 12th in points per drive. Uh, this offense runs 11 purse 72% of the time, 12 purse, just 20% of the time. So it's going to be three wide receivers, Le'Veon Bell or Clyde Edwards-Helaire, who I'm going to get to, one of those backs, and of course Travis Kelsey. They're going to have speed all over the field. What that means for the Browns' defense is a lot of DBs. They got Denzel Ward and Kevin Johnson back today, so that's that's good news. Um, but like I said, starts and ends with Patrick Mahomes. His 4,740 passing yards were second most this season. Uh, quickly, any guesses as to who finished third and fourth in passing yards this year? It, I, I don't expect you guys to get it. It just it was I was surprised to see it. It's kind of interesting. Any guesses? Jake Luton. I don't know. (laughs) Tom Brady third, Matt Ryan fourth. Matt Ryan, yeah, I could see that. They threw a ton. Yeah. You know, and I guess Brady doesn't shock anyone, but again, he's 43, and Matt Ryan and the Falcons are in a rebuild, but still finished that high. I thought it was interesting. Anyway, Pat Mahomes is a megastar. There's no way around it. Um, This is his league. He's the most freakish talent at the position since Aaron Rodgers. And considering I was 15 years old, the last time Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl, uh, this is an entire generation. It's kind of the way that uh, Dan Lobby wrote the, the Browns generation story last week that he did su- such a good job on. This is that generation's, and both for NFL fans and football minds, guy. I mean, he, he is the guy. I, I'll pause briefly to ask you guys, uh, you know, slightly older than me, just slightly. Ellis always making us feel old on this podcast, Doug. For real. 
is he the guy? Am, am I am I premature here? He's only 25 years old, one Super Bowl MVP, one Super Bowl. Is he the guy? Am I am I premature there? Similar Lamar Jackson, right? Lamar Jackson's I mean he's not gonna win the MVP this year and he didn't there was no way he was gonna have a repeat of last year, but those are the two guys driving things right now. And and I think I think Mahomes is you know, long-term more sustainable than Lamar. I think you could drop Patrick Mahomes in anywhere. Certainly he's helped by having Andy Reid as a veteran head coach um, guiding things for him. But yeah, I, I mean this, I think this feels like this is like when you saw that LeBron was great when he was young and it's like, that guy's going to keep being great. And he has been, he keeps being great. Cause I don't know that we've seen the combination of athleticism and intellect and the way that he sees the game and then can execute whatever his brain sees his body can do. And often there are things that the guy has the body and the brain doesn't see it all, or the brain sees it all and the body can't do it all. And I don't know where this guy gets derailed. I don't know where this guy falls short. And then it's the thing that I do think, you know, and I think this is what you were saying, Ellis, a lot of that close game stuff or whatever, a lot, there is randomness to it. And that the numbers, people would say that, but there's a Mahomesness to it mm-hmm. that it's just like, okay, well, it's close. All right. Well, that guy has the ball with two minutes left. That's not random. That's that guy has the ball. <laughs> so it's funny back when, I mean, it, it was hard. It's funny. You look back now but he had these traits coming out in the draft and you just weren't sure because it was a run and shoot at Texas tech, because it was just a weird style of football in the NFL, even though that was only three or four years ago was just still behind the curve then on taking that type of offense and implementing it here. But the guy had like all the stuff then, and you just didn't know how it translated. And it's like, it all translates every bit of him translates. And I think he's got it all. And I think he's on track. I'm just, this is one of those things. I'm spending five minutes to state the obvious. He's on track to be the greatest quarterback of all time. And the reason you can't say that now is because he's 25 and he's only done it for a couple of years, but why he wouldn't be that would be something derailing him. That's what we're talking about here. Right. And, and I think even though it is the obvious, I think it's worth unpacking. And again, perhaps this is an off season topic, Scott, I'd, I'd like your opinion just quickly on it, but from Pat Mahomes to Josh Allen and, even Lamar Jackson, I wonder if this group of quarterbacks is going to put a reckoning on the way we evaluate the quarterback position coming out of college, or has this always just been a 50, 50 crapshoot and it's just the way it is, you know, cause like, I, I'm glad you brought up his time at Texas tech because you can say the same thing about Josh Allen. And then Lamar Jackson was the 32nd pick for more obvious reasons, but you get my point. So Scott, do you think there's lessons learned here or is this just how drafting works? It's kind of always going to be that way. I mean, everything's changed over the last however many years and that quarterbacks are starting a lot earlier than they used to. So you're seeing more of these young guys kind of get the opportunity to perform well coming out of the gate. A lot of them failed, but then you have, you know, more guys succeeding just because there's more young quarterbacks getting that opportunity. So I imagine, I I don't know what that says about scouting, but it's clear that teams are, are more willing to look, they, they used a first round draft pick on this kid. They don't want to sit him anymore. That, you know, no more redshirt years in the NFL, even I though I guess Mahomes technically had one. I don't want to turn this into a Josh Allen podcast, but I was very Josh Allen, anti Josh Allen when the Browns had the chance to pick him. Um, I was more intrigued by Mahomes. And I remember doing a Mahomes podcast before that Browns draft when they, if you know, if they would have taken with the second 
uh, first round pick they had. But where I have come now, and maybe a lot of people were were already here, is I think those three guys, Mahomes, Allen, and Jackson, do show you maybe with first-round quarterbacks, you just shoot for upside. And if you miss, you bail and try again. But if you hit, the upside is so high. And you don't worry about the floor. Because I think people with those three guys, you were worried if you were reluctant, and none of them were the first quarterback taken in their draft. But if you looked at Trubisky and Mahomes and said, well, who's got the bigger upside? I mean, who wouldn't have said Mahomes, but you wondered about all the stuff we talked about. But just who cares? Shoot, because when those three guys hit, my God, they're doing things that you've never seen guys do before. Where Baker is not that. Baker is not an upside pick. Right. Baker is a, the upside isn't as high, but the floor is not as low. So you felt like, well, the Browns at that spot, they can't just only go upside. Cause my God, they're finally taking a quarterback number one and he's going to flame out. You can't take Josh Allen there. And that's where I was, but maybe that's the wrong thinking in this league. You shoot high or go home. And if you give the guy three years and he's out, then rebuild again and take another guy in the top five. Yeah. And the Cardinals. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's all, you know, that I don't, maybe that is the way to go. And I think Mahomes, I mean, yes, he was a 10th pick and the chiefs traded up for him, but I think that was a little bit of like, you weren't sure for sure that he'd hit, but my gosh, if he did, this is what was going to happen. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating conversation. And again, one we probably should explore in the off season because this is the most important position in pro sports. This guy just signed a $500 million contract. You're the CEO of multi-billion dollar organization. <laughs> And what we're saying is you basically have a 50-50 chance of getting it right, despite all the data, research, and film analysis that goes into this. There's got to be a better way, but we'd probably all be worth a lot. Got to watch the tape would be publicly <laughs> trading if we had a better formula, right? <laughs> all right. So I'm going to keep talking about Patrick Holmes as this podcast goes on, of course, because we've got guys like Tyree Kittle and Travis Kelsey to get to. Um, he was the first in EPA. I think that's important to point out, meaning that – Though the the Chiefs are 13th in running, this team is best suited, of course, when Patrick Mahomes has the ball in his hand, either passing or running the football. Uh, He was just behind. Actually, he had, like I think, on the season, uh, like eight points higher EPA than even Josh Allen, who had his own MVP quality season. So just speaks to uh, the immense control and influence he has over this offense. It's his show. Really, the Chiefs are doing a favor to opposing defenses when they hand the football off uh, and stating obviously again here, but it is his arm strength and his fluidity in the pocket and his escapability that make him so unguardable. Uh, he can make any throw. I remember this off season, him joking, not even joking. He wanted to have a throw off with Josh Allen. I mean, he is convinced he's got the strongest arm in the league. And until someone takes that crown in a Super Bowl moment, uh, he belongs there. Uh, let's get the running backs out of the way quickly. I mentioned them both already briefly. Quite Edward Juller, LSU running back, Clyde Frog, South Park joke, as I like to nickname him. Maybe that'll catch on a lot like my smooth operator did. You know, they're just blowing up, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing my smooth operator T-shirt right now, Ellis. Thanks for sending that along. And I'm printing the Clyde Frog hats right now, snapback, so don't worry. He's had his best game in week one, which came against the Houston Texans, which now shouldn't really be a surprise with the, the rushing issues of the Texans and overall issues the Texans have had all year. You know what? I know I keep getting off topic here, but we almost in the offseason should have like a, a a once a month like gossip segment because I really just want to talk about the Houston Texans and what they're doing and 
I don't want to get us too sidetracked here, but holy smokes, what is going on in Houston right now is remarkable. All the way to the Andre Johnson tweet, I digress, but it, it is this league is just so fun to talk about and cover. Anyway, he is dealing with a high ankle sprain, still unsure if uh, Clyde Frog will be available. If he's not, it is former Steelers star Le'Veon Bell who will get the start, who Browns fans are, of course, familiar with. Le'Veon has been used sparingly as he, as he joined the Chiefs. His best performance came against the Saints in Week 15. 16 touches, 76 total yards. On tape, I think they're a better unit with Le'Veon Bell. He just seems like – I mean, he's the veteran. He's a more patient runner, still has some juice, some cut, a taller guy, better by the goal line, and a, a, a better pass catcher. So I could see Le'Veon Bell as the postseason gets going here, starting with the Browns, having more opportunity and – kind of being a thorn in defense's sides that they weren't expecting or you just can't prepare for because there's too much to prepare for, as in wide receiver Tyreek Hill. I know I said that this offense starts and stops with Mahomes because, of course, it does. He's the quarterback. But I'm telling you, Tyreek Hill at all 5'9", five, 5'8", five, maybe 190 pounds of them is a bona fide game record. He's the 16th best receiver, according to PFF, but throw that out the window. To me, he is the most notorious and most dangerous non-quarterback in football. His speed ruins any plan to run one safety high looks. For anyone that wants a better example of that, just turn on or Google Tyree Kill versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year. Um, he had like 200 receiving yards in the first half. It, it, you know, it looked like the, the Alabama-Ohio State game. Not that we need to get into that. But it is his ability to just exploit single high coverage I'm telling you guys, Browns fans, if you take away anything from my dive, it is if the Browns have just Sandejo back there, even for a snap, I'm telling you it is a catastrophic mistake. They have to play too high the entire game, and we can get into what that looks like more Friday, but I'm just telling you the the whole Denzel Ward on Tyree Kill thing sounds nice. It is not an option. This guy will wreck the game and run straight by you because this is no disrespect to Stephon Diggs in Buffalo or Devonta Adams in Green Bay, but what Hill and Patrick Mahomes need to thrive is not scheme-based. The power of Mahomes' arm combined with Tyreek Hill's straight-line vertical speed is the most dangerous concoction in pro football. Now, he's also a threat in the red zone. They do gadget stuff with him. That's where the scheme stuff comes in. He's a threat uh, on jet motions. He's just a guy you have to know where he's at at all times. And if you figure out Tyreek Hill, well, there's Sammy Watkins and um, Maurice Hardman there who runs 4-3, and Sammy Watkins was, what, the fourth overall pick in 2014. These guys are loaded at wide receiver, Doug and Scott, and I haven't even got to Travis Kelsey yet. Yeah, they didn't even get to <laughs> Travis Kelsey yet. Remember how the thing I said that Scott was making me think the Browns might score 60? You're making me think the Chiefs might score 100. So it's like my official score prediction at the moment is 100-60. to 60. Um, Scott, this is not anything – we didn't know, but it is quite a thing when you hear it broken down like this, right? I mean, I, the, the idea, I think in the, it's a strong point that Ellis is making that Tyreek Hill is like the number one game wrecker in the NFL. Oh, yeah. And uh, PFF uh, tweeted out a, a stat today. Denzel Ward, 31% completion percentage against when he's in single coverage over the last three seasons. He's the only cornerback below 40%. And... He hasn't played Tyreek Hill <laughs> a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, did he play the last? Was he, and who, he might not even been in that game when they played last time. Who knows? Uh, I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, you have a good cover corner, but Tyree kills uh, just kind of a different deal. I think the most frustrating thing about the Chiefs is that even when you get pressure and force Mahomes to run, that's, I mean, how many times have we seen him throw back across the other side of the field to Tyree Kill, who's kind of lost his defender, is wide open for like a 40-yard game. Same with Travis Kelsey. I haven't looked into the amount of busted plays these guys convert, but it's got to be extremely high. They just thrive on that and find a way. And I watched Alabama, Ohio State the other night, and I just kept thinking that's how the Browns-Chiefs game could be. The Browns could be at a spot where, all right, do we go forward on fourth and goal or do we kick the field goal? And I think knowing clearly Ohio State should have been thinking touchdowns all the way. And I think the Browns are going to be in a similar situation because they're going to have to keep up with this offense. It's going to be a high-scoring game if they win. I will say the one caveat on this is Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I was a little surprised he was the first back taken in the draft last year. I thought J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State had a chance to be the first back taken. Um, and teams use guys differently. I do. Th- I mean, J.K. had a really good year in Baltimore. Um, and they sort of eased him in, and that's a very different kind of offense than what the Chiefs are running. But Edwards-Alaire doesn't scare me. I think he's fine. He's, he's a little bit like – and Le'Veon Bell, but it feels like the Chiefs running game is a little bit like the Steelers running game and that, like, it's fine – but it doesn't scare you like Hunt and Chubb might scare you. So the the passing game is so electric, but I feel like maybe if they just had a different guy and they had it with Kareem Hunt, obviously, once upon a time, if they just had a little bit of a different guy, I think they might have missed. You know, they took Edwards Alaire above Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. I think they might have gone a little bit the wrong way there. And if, if they had a little more reliable dynamic running back, it would even be next level. Anyway. Travis Kelsey. You didn't even talk about Travis Kelsey yet. Is it possible that Travis Kelsey, Kelsey as a Cleveland guy will say, I have my ring. Let me take it easy on the Browns. Yes. The inside job could happen, but considering he uh, was shown last year at the parade, you know, screaming, run it back. And really was the face of that show. I don't think he's phoning it here for the, for the hometown Browns. So look, when it comes to Travis Kelsey, he does the exact opposite of Tyreek Hill. He owns the middle of the field at six foot five and 260 pounds. He's literally a matchup nightmare. Uh, this season, he broke George Kittle's 2018 single season uh, tight end receiving record with 1,416 receiving yards. That was second most in the league overall behind only Stefan Diggs. His second place finish is the highest by a tight end since 2011. And Again, he still finished higher, but Gronk and Jimmy Graham finished sixth and seventh, respectively, with around 1,300 yards. So the point I'm trying to make is not only did he break George Kittle's mark, but where he finishing second in the league and overall receiving, you know, I, I only clicked back on pro football reference 10 times to get to 2010 for the decade, and I, I didn't think it was worthwhile to keep going. I, I'm willing to say, you know, that second-place finish could be the you know highest for a, a, a tight end ever in league history. I mean, he is a – receiver but that's not to knock him in his the way he can contribute in the run game with his six foot five 206 pound frame he is just the model tight end or the next one since Gronk to quite frankly be unstoppable he runs cuts and switches gears changes directions like a slot receiver but again it's the size that make tackling him on an eight yard reception with one guy, very difficult because he turns that eight-yard grab across the middle into 11, 12, 13, sometimes 20 yards. 
And that's the, the, the problem of defending Travis Kelsey, because if you're going to take away the deep stuff, it opens up Kelsey underneath and then tackling him in space proves extremely difficult. You guys already kind of teased it. He's a local guy. Um, as, as I often remind listeners, I'm not from around these parts. So I'm wondering, Scott, Doug, do you guys have any Kelsey memories, moments, or is his connection here kind of overplayed? Or I guess I'm just kind of looking for some background. I didn't start covering high school sports in Cuyahoga County until after he was gone. I was kind of covering in surrounding areas. So I don't remember his high school career very much. So, yeah. Yeah. I got nothing, but I would imagine, but you know, like how on this podcast, Ellis tells Minnesota stories, Travis Kelsey has got to be in that chief's locker room telling Cleveland stories. Right. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like you forget it. So I know, I know he wants his own team to win, but man, I, that guy this week is telling Cleveland stories to his teammates. You know what story he's telling? He's saying, Hey, the last time we played the Browns, I had seven catches on seven targets. I had two touchdowns. That's what he's telling them. You know, by the way, in that game, Denzel Ward, uh, Tyreek Hill, I don't have the number of times they were matched up, but Hill had one catch on one target for eight yards against Ward in coverage. Tyreek Hill finished with four catches, 69 yards, no touchdowns, and Holmes was picked off once when thrown to him. So he did not wreck the Browns in that game. It was more Travis Kelsey and, and Kareem Hunt. All right, I do see, Ellis, in your email that you sent about what you're going to talk about, the word weakness did appear once in your email, which is a relief to anyone listening to this. That's the point, Doug. We got to remind listeners this team is not unbeatable. Perhaps time will prove that statement false, but in the moment, in this week, in this buildup, we cannot say the Chiefs are unbeatable for how what I laid out at the start with their one-score game tendencies – and then just physically on paper and what the film tells you about their offensive line. This is the one spot that like any team with a great quarterback have been allowed to, I don't want to say necessarily ignore. They've had some tough breaks, some injuries, some guys opting out and whatnot, but they can get by because Patrick Mahomes is the great equalizer. You know, he corrects all your mistakes up front and makes a bad play call or a bad snap from an interior guard look like a, a great sequence of events. So everyone, for the most part, most people are familiar with their left tackle, Eric Fisher, I believe. Was he the number one? Was he the number one pick? He was, he was. Yep. Yeah. There's like no one else to take, but that was like Dorsey's number one pick. Yeah. 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 Well, he's still there. PFF grade of 80. Like this whole line. And look at this point in the season, you just look at what's going on with the Browns guys up front. It, this league is demanding. It's the toughest, most grueling spots to play those interior positions, offensive, defensive line. They're banged up, and that, that's no surprise. Their left guard, PFF grade of 66 overall, um, and their right guard, Andrew Wiley, 54 overall. Their right tackle, Mike Reamer, is 70 overall. So what I'm getting at here is this looks like an opportunity reminiscent of the Bengals game, where you could put Miles Garrett inside and start creating some havoc. Now, where that could become problematic and stuff we're going to talk about Friday is where the Browns are at with their defensive line depth. But if we're just talking matchups and the ability to do a little bit of your own game wrecking, Miles Garrett inside lined up over their right guard who is inexperienced, a little banged up, and has a season-long PFF grade of 54 overall, that seems like the matchup to watch. So it's not as good as the Browns' offensive line. That's good. But – 
Go ahead. How how much does Mahomes's ability to evade pressure sort of negate? Where all right, so Miles Garrett gets through, but then Mahomes has the ability to get away, right? Right. And this morning when I wrote my my problems, the Chiefs' offense creates, and and Scott teed it up earlier. It's to me the I keep saying number one priority because it's like you got to play too high <laughs> all the time, or Tyreek Hill's just going to run right by you. But keeping Patrick Mahomes in the pocket is a absolute must, you know, to, to even allow him outside two, three, four times the the Browns will, will defeat themselves. It is going to take immense lane discipline and integrity and selflessness to keep Mahomes in the pocket because he showed it in the Super Bowl last year. He's been doing it this year. When, even if you're playing zone, even if you have eyes on him, those third and eights that you covet against the chiefs, like an opportunity to have them pump the dang football on third and eight, third and nine, you cover it up decently, you know, Ty- Tyreek's taken away deep and you double Kelsey somehow, and you do something goofy to mess up Sammy Watkins in single coverage. And then all of a sudden the edge rushers get excited, pin their ears back, ignore their lane discipline allow the outside and Patrick Mahomes takes off for 11 yards. And now it's, you know, first down from midfield and they're looking at points rather than a punt. That's how quickly it happens. And that's what is so exciting about playoff football right now. It is those moments. You cannot take a snap off. It may sound cliche or repetitive, but it is the truth, especially against an offense this excellent and a quarterback with such an innate feel for when he should run. He doesn't do it in a Lamar Jackson way. Like, Oh, I'm going no matter what which Lamar is just remarkable, by the way. But it, that's not how Mahomes does it. It is just a natural feel of a timer and a clock in his head that tells him when to go, and it's never for 25 or 30. It's for that 7, 8, 9, 10, or 11, kind of like what Baker Mayfield's been doing, you know, the light version of that. And it's absolutely crippling. And if the Browns do everything perfect and mess up there, it's going to be – it's the most demoralizing way to lose, aside from just throwing one 80-yard touchdown to Tyree Kill. Scott, there is the uh, – you, you can't get away from the fact that Ben Roethlisberger threw for 500 yards against the Browns last week with no Denzel Ward when they were in catch-up mode, right? And we know the Browns were giving him some stuff. But I'm just trying to think of, like, the other great quarterbacks that the Browns have faced this year. You know, Lamar is his own kind of specific challenge, but they put up a ton of points uh, in week the second time around especially, and they also scored 38 the first time. Dak Prescott was – rolling everybody, but Dak Prescott kind of did what he wanted to do and the Browns just outscored him. And then there, you know, Deshaun was in the wind. Deshaun Watson had an unbelievable year. The weather helped the Browns for sure that week. Derek you know, Carr too. Derek Carr, right. They Some of the, and, and then there are times, you know, that they also faced some quarterbacks. Dwayne Haskins threw them the ball and, you know, the Colt McCoy, they played Colt McCoy. There's nobody like Patrick Mahomes, but the Browns also didn't, they didn't face Tom Brady this year. They didn't face Aaron Rodgers this year. They didn't face Deshaun Watson when the weather was good. They didn't face Justin Herbert. They didn't face some of these other guys. The Browns defense, and we'll get into that more on the Friday, but like there's part of this is like Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes and the Browns, you just don't see a guy like this. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about how Baker Mayfield's had uh, the most time to throw in the pocket. Patrick Mahomes is up there too. And the thing Ellis said about, keeping him in the pocket when he has less than 2.5 seconds to throw, 
his completion percentage is 78.5%. When he's got 2.5 seconds or more to throw, it's 55%. And that's where he's thrown five of his interceptions. Still throwing 20 touchdowns <laughs> when, he's, when he's had the ball that long. Um, but, and it doesn't differentiate if he's scrambling or if he's just kind of, you know, if the coverage is good or whatever. But I think keeping him contained, obviously, is what you want to do. And then just doing well in coverage. And we might see, you know, obviously they're going to have more cornerbacks on the field because the, the, the Chiefs have more receivers. But keeping him from getting out, and it's the way Ben Roethlisberger used to hurt teams. He used to get out of the pocket and – and things just kind of became chaotic, and, and the Chiefs are really good at that, and you want to avoid those situations. So, Ellis, after spending all your time breaking down this offense that we obviously know is great, did you come away thinking, like, man, they're even better than I realized? They're not quite as good as I realized, maybe because of the running backs or the offensive line, or is this what the general perception for the average Browns fan of the Chiefs offense is probably what they think pretty much right? Yeah, Doug, it's a great question. To me, they came out better than I realized. And that's simply because as we're in the day-to-day the -day grind of covering this Browns beat and with simply the Chiefs not being on the schedule, you hear about the Chiefs, you accept that they're the best, Patrick Mahomes is the new GOAT, whatever. But until you put the tape on and really quantify what these athletes are doing, you realize that there just hasn't been anything quite like this in the league. I understand there's been explosive offenses before, but just the way they do it. I mean, I could do an entire deep dive on just the red zone plays. They are at such a, they are performing at such a high octane level that they are creating new frontiers of offense. Patrick Mahomes scored uh, through a, a touchdown this year in the red zone where the only person who was in pre-snap motion was Patrick Mahomes. He was in shotgun he started going right, jetted back left, took the snap, carried his momentum left, pirouetted back right, booted, got about like 12 yards of depth in the pocket because it doesn't matter where the hell he throws the football from. He can make it the throw from anywhere. So he doesn't care how deep he is and finds a crossing receiver in the back of the end zone. They were on like the four. It's like a 25 yard throw. And it's, it's a play I've never seen in football before. I just watched that snap like 15 times yesterday as I'm working on this dive and you can just go down the rabbit hole of how unique this is. Now that's the thing. They're so excellent and have the free time to craft up red zone plays like that, that perhaps they can get lost at the simple things. You know, by the time the Browns and Chiefs kick off, Patrick Mahomes will have had 20 days off of live competitive football. You can't simulate that in practice. There's no making up for it. Perhaps there's some rust. Perhaps they start slow. But the counter to that is they started slow all last year, that they're comfortable in deficits, and they, they really, quite frankly, don't give a rip. There's not a comeback they're scared of. It's like how we started the pod. Perhaps that comes back to bite them. But until it does, you can't blame them for playing without fear. It, it is just how this unit is conditioned. And when you're on a run like they're on, you probably feel the same way too. I do feel like that – that Dallas game for the Browns might've been like a JV version dry run of what this could be like. Like if you can get out to a big lead and then that furious Dallas comeback and it's like, Oh my gosh, the Browns have been ahead the whole game. I think the Cowboys scored 24 in the fourth quarter and it takes the Odell reverse an amazing play to like put that game away. Cause they got back to 41 38 and you were like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening that 
you know, the Chiefs had the game a couple years ago in the playoffs where they're down, what, 24 nothing to Deshaun Watson and the Texans, and they rally back. They've been down in the playoffs. They were down to the Titans last year, right? And they came back. Like, they're never dead. But the formula of, like, Browns, efficient offense off the jump, run pass, get a lead, and then hold on for dear life, I think is – it could play out a little bit like that Dallas game. Go ahead, Ellis. And I, I wonder, Doug, and now we're getting into game theory, and I'm, I'm all for that. I wonder if Kevin Stefanski needs to be a little conscientious of how quickly he tries to score here because of those games you've mentioned, and we really just had one last week with the Steelers coming back. I mean, if anything, Kansas City's they already with themselves are going to be comfortable in a deficit, but the Browns have showed that they let teams back into games for whatever reason. Those three games are all very different, but you can get back in these games against the Browns the game I'm going to go back and watch key moments from and just study the game plan of is the Giants game. The Browns had, I mean, what, like 14 play drives, 95 yards, took chunks of time off the clock, whole half quarters. Six possessions, six possessions the whole game. Exactly. I think there's something to unpack there when it comes to game theory and how you plan to beat the Chiefs. This isn't the out and up week, you know, one play 75 yards. This is – the 14, 15 play drive week. I, I do think I can envision like the perfect scenario is like the Browns are holding on. Everybody's scared of Patrick Mahomes. You know, the Browns get the ball back with five minutes to play in a three point lead. And you're like, my God, you cannot let Patrick Mahomes get the ball back. And the game ends with Patrick Mahomes standing on the sideline because the Browns get four first downs on the ground and run out the game. And that like, Patrick Mahomes would have beaten you, except you didn't give him the chance. Yep. Like that's like the dream scenario kind of thing. I think for the Browns, Scott, go ahead. Uh, one important thing, Browns, the Browns defense needs to remember. This is vital. If in the final seconds of this game, it looks like Miles Garrett is going to sack Patrick Mahomes, do not rip off your helmet and start celebrating. The sack might not happen. The game might not be over. Just Browns fans will know what I'm talking about. Good reminders. You got to prepare to win. You got to All the details matter. All the details matter. All right. So now I do think, so what you said, so this was sort of a good overview introduction for Browns fans who have not followed the Chiefs all year. You know a lot about the Chiefs now. You don't need to learn about the Browns, but you need to learn about the Browns game plan. How do you attack this now that you know what the Browns have? Now, you know what the Chiefs have. That's the Friday pod. How do the Browns offensively and defensively, what's their plan of attack for dealing with the defending Super Bowl champs? We will see you guys back for that. Got to watch the tape. Make sure you are listening to every Orange and Brown Talk podcast this week. Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, everybody covering the Browns for Cleveland.com. Make sure you're reading Cleveland.com slash Browns. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out with us. Thanks to Scott Nellis for their deep dives on this. For Scott Nellis, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.